Hello and welcome to ROE 17 Pod. My name is Mark Jontry. I'm the Regional Superintendent of Schools for ROE 17. And on today's episode of the pod, I am very, very excited to welcome in one of my lifelong friends that I grew up with, retired United States Air Force Colonel Jeffrey Palomino. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me. So, Jeff, I, I wanted to have you on uh, because I wanted to visit with you about your career path in large part of how you ended up going into the Judge Advocate General, the JAG side of the practice of law in, in the Armed Forces, and specifically in the Air Force, and just kind of what that career path was. But, but I guess to start out, you, like me, grew up in a household where both parents were educators. Can you kind of talk about that experience growing up as a Chanel Redbird, fellow Redbird, class of 88, and what about just your, your experiences as you went through growing up and, and how that informed how you got to the career that you did today? Yeah, well, appreciate you having me on and happy to, to talk today and, and glad to be a part of this. I uh, grew up in, in Chinoa. A lot of people in Illinois will even ask me, where exactly is that? <laughs> and so your listeners are probably more familiar than others, but I-55 is the major road right next to Chinoa. And then uh, State Highway 24 goes right through it. I think better known as the Crossroads of Opportunity is, is their <laughs> name. So grew up in Chinoa. I think it was population 1,700, 1,800 people at the time. And my parents, Victor and Carol Palomino, uh, both graduates of Illinois State University and began their career teaching in, in Leroy and then moved, I believe, kind of late 60s, around the time I was born, 1970, to Chinoa to take jobs there and really stayed there. My mom did the whole, her whole career. She took some time off to have children, but my dad stayed there. And then in, in small town, you know, this area education, moving to Dwight to be the principal and superintendent there. So I have really good memories of growing up in Chinoa and you know, my time in the Air Force took me to a lot of different places. I think that there's, I don't know, kind of a, a consistent grounding that comes from just growing up in a small town in the Midwest. And I feel like the opportunities I got were really great opportunities for me, but I felt, you know, almost kind of along for the ride in some of them, you know, just grew up, you know, parents both taught. And uh, so my mom taught special education for a long time. My dad had a real diverse career teaching high school for a while. Then he moved to the elementary school, taught there, then became the assistant principal, then the principal, and then he moved to Dwight and became the principal and superintendent there. So all, I mean, all our friends were teachers. Everybody we knew was a teacher in high school. And so I have great memories of that. You know, of course, I go back to Chino High School, and it's not Chino High School anymore, but definitely remember a lot, everything we did there and the great times we had there. And uh, again, growing up with two parents in education, education was very important in our house. And so when I got home from school, I did my homework almost <laughs> right away. And, and it's a very different experience from my children that have largely gone to big uh, suburban area high schools. Mm -hmm. I always remind them that my graduating class uh, had 40 people in it. Yeah, I mean, it's it was 
a great place to grow up and a, a great place to get an education. And, and then I felt even closer to everyone, given that I knew everyone and, and knew all the teachers as well. Yeah, and that's, a, that's certainly a feature of, of growing up in a small community. When you were in high school, you were involved in both athletics. You, you played basketball and also in a lot of activities. I remember speech and debate, obviously a lot of musicals and plays. And kind of talk about how, A, your interest, especially in those activities, maybe informed your career when I think about your oratory skills and other other things. Yeah, I mean, in this area, athletics are really big, and they were big in Shinoa as well. Thinking back to the athletics and the extracurricular activities that a small school district like Shinoa offered, it's really kind of surprising that they had all of those, including band and choir and all of those kinds of things. Again, my kids have gone to largely, you know, big suburban high schools in, in Washington State and then Washington, D.C. And, yeah, there are bigger programs and things like that. But going up at a high school like Shinoa and a school district like Shinoa, if you wanted to play football, you could play football. If you wanted to play basketball, you could play basketball, run track, et cetera. If you wanted to be in the play, you could be in the play. And a lot of people did all of those things. They played athletics. They were involved in drama and those kinds of things. So it was very accessible that you could do those things, unlike a big area where you might have to try out for the team. You may get cut. I don't recall any cuts that we had in anything. <laughs> so I, I grew up in kind of a unique circumstance in that my dad was very involved in drama and theater at Illinois State University. And when he went to Shinoa, he became very involved in drama and theater at the high school level. And Shinoa in that time, 70s and 80s, was really known for the theater productions that they put on. Both him and my dad, Victor Palomino, uh, John Capasso, who has been at Burnt Prairie Central for a very long time, really very gifted artists and could really had a high quality of productions that they brought. You know, I know John has left Prairie Central, but I've heard great things about their drama program in recent years as well. So yeah, I played basketball in the winter and then was in a fall play and a spring musical and then was very involved in speech and debate. And we competed against high schools and speech and speech team around this area and even at the state level against big schools up in the Chicago area and that kind of thing. And we competed very well. We had state champions. We had people that made it to state finals. I would say that all of those things ultimately came to fruition in my career. For a short time, I was a theater major at the University of Illinois. And it was the foundation, really, of being involved in it so much in Shinoa. And I should add that I was also very involved here in Bloomington Normal with uh, Bloomington Normal Parks and Recreation, I think what's now known as the Connie Link Theater. I mean, I knew Connie Link. She directed plays that I was in and musicals. That was a great way to connect with other theater people in this area in McLean County. There those are a lot were in of, the summer. Those were in the summer yeah. theater. Yeah, those were wonderful. Again, really great productions, uh, high level, I think, of production. And it was a great way to connect with theater people. And there's a lot of gifted artists and actors, musicians, all those kinds of things in this area. So the way it ultimately informed, I... You know, being a lawyer, some people may not think, well, that really doesn't have anything to do with what you just described, but it really does. I, I spent about a third of my career in the Air Force as a trial lawyer in the courtroom, 
it came naturally to me to speak in front of people, to make arguments, to speak on my feet, to try to persuade people and bring, I guess, a little bit more flair for the dramatic, if you will, into the courtroom. And I, frankly, that that's kind of what people expect to see when they are a juror and something like that. They, what they see on TV. Yeah, they right? expect they expect to see the TV show Jag or right. you know whatever whatever drama lawyer show you law watch. Yeah, Law and Order, L.A. Law from the '80s. You know, yeah. and of course, you know, being in the courtroom and being a lawyer is a lot more mundane. Just like everybody's job is more mundane than it than it may appear. But yeah, I mean those those things were foundational for learning to speak in front of an audience, kind of learning to, you know, think on my feet, give, you know, oration, public speech, and then to present things in a way that was compelling. And I would think, you know, almost any career to a degree has something like that involved in it. It may be something that you're just talking to a client or a customer, but even that requires a degree of thought and presentation and for things. So those the time I had at Shinoa and the things I was involved in was very very informative for my career. So when you graduated from Shinoa, you went to the U of I, and you referenced that you started out in theater at the U of I. You ended up graduating with a degree in psychology. At some point, you obviously made that transition. Was the transition to psychology because you had identified that potentially the the law career was where you wanted to go, and that was obviously a course of study. Not that there's necessarily up a prescribed path to law school, but there are certainly some disciplines that lend themselves to it more than others. How did that come about? As a part of that, then, you landed on DePaul Law School. Can you kind of just talk about that pathway? Like I said, my parents are both educators, and I didn't come to the idea of going to law school or being a lawyer until really my early 20s, until I'd been out of school for a couple of years. When I was at, at Illinois, like we mentioned, I was in the theater department for a year. One of my contemporaries that I like to tell my kids in the theater department at Illinois was Nick Offerman, who oh, played really? Ron Swanson, <laughs> famously. I don't think you've ever shared that with yeah, <laughs> famously play. He was from Manuka, Illinois. Yep. Uh, famously Illinois played Ron Swanson. I I auditioned for the theater department there as a freshman, and then started as a sophomore. And because the theater department had four-year program that you had to go through, as many fine arts programs do, you have to go through all four years. I was a sophomore going to in classes with freshmen in the theater department, and Nick was a was a sophomore and already you know he was same age, but he was a year ahead of me. Okay. So I got to know him some through mutual friends, but then kind of as the year progressed, I. You know, here in this area, like I said, I was involved in local recreational theater. There, you know, is a very famous Shakespeare festival here. And so it's a very, and Illinois State is, and, and Wesleyan for that matter, are really known for really high quality theater programs producing great actors and, and many famous actors. Mm-hmm. So I was in the theater department and I was just explaining this to somebody a couple of days ago. I realized after I was in it for about a year, almost a full year, that theater for me really was more of a hobby than it was a real dedicated career. We had someone come to speak to the actors at Illinois and this individual had graduated from the theater department and he was one of the executive producers on Night Court. And I articulate it better now than I did then, but I think I realized, wow, this, you really have to be all in 
to try to make a career at theater. And I wanted to take other classes at school. And my academic advisor said, well, you really should be in song and dance instead of a science class. And I realized it was more of a hobby for me. Ended up switching into psychology mainly because I knew other psychology majors and it seemed interesting to me. I got out of Illinois and you know didn't really have a direction or a good job at first. I worked here in the local area in retail. And then after about a year, got a job up in the Chicago area that was more in line with that my degree working with social work and teenagers. Yeah, some uh, kind of a homeless youth population, a single mother population doing a job training program. And it was really then I met someone going to law school and I started to think more seriously about going to law school. And then I started at DePaul in 95. So I was about three years older than the average person that was at school. A lot of people go from undergrad to law school. There were many people that were my age or even older because DePaul had a really good night program there too. But that's kind of how things led. I thought about going to seminary for a little while. Again, that kind of career track tracks well with someone that can speak and, Mm -hmm. and present well. But really started to be called in, I think, a different direction to go to law school. Wasn't sure where it was going to end up, but that's how we ended up then at DePaul and going to law school there. Started at DePaul in 1995. So when you started at DePaul, was the United States Air Force and that track a part of your thought process, or did that come to, to be, so to speak, after you had started at DePaul? Yeah, that really came after I started at DePaul. When we moved to the Chicago area, it could be a product of growing up in McLean County in such a small town. When we moved to Chicago, the area just felt really large and very congested to us. I mean, used to go there for sporting events, maybe a concert, but living up there, it started to feel congested. So I wasn't sure where we were going to go or what we were going to do, but there were a few things that happened at DePaul. Number one, the Army and the Air Force both sent recruiters to DePaul to do really informational interviews for students there to talk about what it was like to be a judge advocate in the military. And I didn't grow up in a military family at all, but it kind of sounded interesting because they said you could try your own cases fairly quickly and get an opportunity to live in other places. It also so happened that one of the deans at DePaul had been an army judge advocate for an initial commitment, I think of four years or so, a short, you know, did her service time, but started her career as a lawyer in the Army JAG Corps. And I went to like a brown bag presentation that she did. And I thought, you know, this sounds actually pretty interesting. The opportunity to try my own cases, live abroad. And I really like the idea of trying cases and being a lawyer in the courtroom. I heard you comment at your retirement ceremony, Paul Law School, that they they had never seen the inside of a courtroom. They were they were an attorney, and you're like, no, I want to advocate. I want to be in a courtroom, and you were kind of really maybe saw this as an avenue to do that. Yeah, that's what interested me most about being a lawyer was trial work and criminal procedure evidence. I really liked all those things, trial advocacy a lot. And during at DePaul, I did internships at the Public Defender's Office in DuPage County and then at the State's Attorney's Office also in DuPage County. I worked for a, a clerk for a small law firm in Chicago right along Michigan Avenue. Worked for a firm there. Those guys, yeah, they didn't, some of them were in the courtroom a little bit, but that's where I met uh, a lawyer through there, an organization called Christian Legal Society where an attorney told me uh, she went 11 years without seeing the inside of a courtroom. And I that's what interested me the most, and I didn't really want to do that. So 
I was looking for a job. I applied with the Army and the Air Force, put in packages with both of them, got a job offer through the Air Force my last year of law school, which was kind of surprising in a lot of ways, was thankful for that, but had to finish law school, graduate, take the bar exam, pass the bar exam, and then they would give me my assignment. So that took to about November, graduated in June of 98, took till about November to get my bar results. And then within a couple of days, found out when I was going to go to officer training school, when I was going to go to my legal school for the Air Force, and where our first assignment was going to be, which was great. We ended up, our first assignment ended up being in England. We lived there for three years. And so that was really great. But I've maintained my bar license in Illinois. And so I've been an Illinois lawyer the entire time. Illinois for my entire military career, I didn't have to pay any bar dues as an Illinois lawyer, as a military, active duty military attorney. Okay. Didn't have to pay bar dues, didn't have to do continuing legal education. Thought about being licensed anywhere, but Illinois is a great state for attorneys. They, the CLE is good and the bar dues aren't you know outrageously expensive. Yeah. It's a good community for attorneys. So yeah. uh, maintained my Illinois license, but came in the Air Force in January of 99. So you recently retired from that, and so over the course of a 22, 23-year career, you've gotten to do a lot of interesting, you got a, a lot of interesting assignments, at least to me as, a, as an observer. What stood out to you uh, regarding some of your postings? What did you enjoy the most? You referenced, obviously, the initial posting over at Lake and Heath in, in England, which obviously that was obviously exciting to go overseas, but what were some of the other postings that you really enjoyed? Yeah, we've lived in the almost 24 years I was in the Air Force. We lived, my wife Susan and I, and our daughter, our oldest daughter, was born while I was in law school. So she was born in Elmhurst, Illinois. I remember but, that. But then we had four more children, two born in England, one in Oklahoma, and one in Texas. So the Air Force really did let us move around. We lived in England, then Oklahoma, San Antonio, Texas, Montgomery, Alabama, Wichita Falls, Texas, which is in the north side of Texas, almost in Oklahoma, Omaha, Nebraska. We lived in the Seattle area for two years, and then we've been in Washington, D.C. since 2016. About a third of my career was spent in the courtroom. About a third was in legal leadership, being in charge of lawyers at Air Force bases or different Air Force locations. And then about a third of my career was working really what the military would call joint jobs, meaning I worked in a legal setting where I worked with other branches of the military. And those were probably the most interesting assignments. I enjoyed my legal leadership assignments, leadership, leading and mentoring people. I got to know a lot of people across a very diverse background of different places people lived. To answer your question, I really think that the, the highlight of my career came really toward the end. I was given a wonderful opportunity to be detailed as a military attorney to work in the White House. And again, coming from Shinoa, I never thought in a million years that I would have an opportunity to work in the White House. I was detailed to the National Security Council. The White House has really kind of two main sets of lawyers. Uh, one is White House Counsel's Office. 
And the president, any president also has a variety of personal lawyers as well. The White House Counsel's Office advises uh, as the lead lawyer, the counsel to the president is the top lawyer for any administration. But the legal advisor to the National Security Council is also a very high-ranking person within the White House, civilian, political appointees. But the National Security Council is really the principal, and the National Security Advisor is really the principal, one of the very top advisors to the president and administration. The National Security Council is comprised of directorates that work a variety of different national security issues. Some of the directorates are arranged regionally. For example, we had an Africa directorate, a Middle East and North Africa directorate, and these directorates paid attention to U.S. national security issues in those regions. But then we had directorates that were more functional in, in nature, um, involving cyber, involving arms control, weapons of mass destruction, health, global health. There were a variety of different directorates. And almost all the people at the National Security Council are detailed from different departments and agencies in the federal government. They'll go over to the NSC for one cup, two year, maybe assignments. All the leadership there is political appointees from the administration. But that's the other main legal office is the National Security Council legal office. And so I was detailed over there for a year from August of 21, uh, August of 20 rather, to August of 21, I mean, right during the height of the pandemic, mm -hmm. and was over there. As a military lawyer, I, I wore a suit over there. I was plain clothes. I didn't wear a okay. uniform. Right. We didn't go by ranks over there. There were a few military officers that were detailed over there working in specialties like nuclear weapons and Guantanamo Bay and different regional areas. But that was really the highlight of my career. I worked, my office was in the Eisenhower Executive That's Office Building so, okay. that was on the White House campus yep. right next to the White House itself. But I frequently went over to the West Wing and had my, so what was interesting is my, my position was not only interesting in that I worked, gave legal advice on a variety of matters with national security uh, a lot of classified work. Uh, but what was interesting is my detail over there crossed administrations as well. So I worked about six months in the Trump administration, mm -hmm. and then I worked about six months in the Biden administration. And my job was the same in both administrations. The National Security Council, with the guidance of the National Security Advisor and the President and, and a variety of different advisors, we gave legal advice on the policy and national security choices of the administration. Are these legally available to the president to do? And so the policy goals of both administrations were very different in some areas, in some areas surprisingly the same. Well, there may be different approaches to that, right. but the enemies and the adversaries are the same across administrations. So in the Trump administration, my boss had been promoted through the administration. He was with the president all four years and his office was over in the West Wing. So I, almost every day I went over to the West Wing for meetings with him. And then frequently I had meetings in the White House Situation Room. I was gonna ask that, you, you have been in the sit room. Yeah, More. the sit room is really a couple of rooms okay. uh, that are basically video teleconference suites mm -hmm. that are globally connected. Mm -hmm. So I had meetings over there and uh, and so I was, you know, in and out, 
frequently on you know on the way over to the west wing you know we may have to stop and not be able to cross that small street there because the vice president was getting ready or the president himself was getting ready to a motorcade was leaving the white house facility so it was it was a very interesting place to work and it was you know working the highest levels of national security in meetings with very significant people giving advice directly to the president any you know i just heard on the news for example that president biden hosted the prime minister of india yesterday mm-hmm. the national security council would have been intimately involved in that visit working all the talking points for the president what are our national security goals out of this visit what are you going to say what are the one-off meetings that are going to be had with the national security advisor the prime minister brings a, an entourage of people, his national security advisor, his secretaries of state. Who are they meeting with while they're here? These meetings are not just head of state meetings with state dinners. There's a lot of policy objectives that are the goals of these. And the NSC would prepare everything for the entire visit. I worked specifically, the highlight was really working with the Middle East and North Africa directorate. In the Trump administration, I gave advice on the Abraham Accords, which are still existing to this day, which were essentially Middle East countries, select Middle East countries recognizing Israel as a state okay. and opening diplomatic relations to Israel. Which has uh, has occurred. Yeah. Uh, so occur, ba- Bahrain, Qatar, UAE, these were really significant national security groundbreaking groundbreaking that the biden administration has kept you know because Mm -hmm. they're such significant Mm -hmm. to have a muslim country recognize israel as a state Mm -hmm. and then open their diplomat not diplomatic but economic channel in their yeah it's in their interest to do this Mm so so that was really the highlight of my career i also worked in the legal office to the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff and worked in the legal office for the department of defense general counsel And the general counsel I worked for was a Trump appointee who was confirmed by the Senate and worked a lot of a lot of very interesting issues, you know, from Guantanamo Bay to the establishment of the Space Force to rules of engagement to uh, a whole host of different legal issues and also got to travel with the general counsel extensively and of those, really, the, the highlight of, of all of those different trips is he gave a speech in Israel uh, to the Law of Armed Conflict course that was put on by the Israeli Defense Force. So got to take a full week trip over with him to Israel, where he gave a keynote speech, and then we had bilateral discussions with the Ministry of Defense in Israel and the Israeli Defense Force on a host of different legal issues that were very important to both countries. So again, you know, just this small town kid from Shinoa high school, <laughs> kind of along for the ride with very interesting places and, uh, you know, almost a Forrest Gump type experience. And I mean, I, you know, I but you did well. But you wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't trade it. And I, it's not something that I think most people get a chance to, to do. And uh, I'm thankful for the opportunities I had. And it was a great, a great career. And I, I'm very thankful for it. And I think obviously it was it has been I don't know if inspirational or aspirational for a few of your children because they're following in your footsteps in the military career. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah, two two of my sons are one is is an army officer, a second lieutenant in the army, and uh, he went to West Point. 
And then my youngest son is an Army ROTC at, at Ole Miss at the University of Mississippi. So, yeah, I think that they, I, you know, I've asked my kids, like, how would you rate growing up as a military, as a military kid? kid with all that transition? And, again, it was very different than how I grew up. I mean, I grew up on 624 Grant Street, <laughs> Chenoa, Illinois. <laughs> You know, my four blocks to yeah, walk to school, school, walk to school, ride my bike to school, and grew up knowing the same people, same area for a long time. And my kids have just lived in a lot of different areas. But yeah, a couple of my kids, I think, is have seen the path in the military as a great way to pay for school, and it is uh, ROTC, obviously a service academy are great opportunities with, with frankly, not a real long service commitment. Mm -hmm. um, you can come out, and this is what I've told both my sons, you come out with a job, and you can get really great experience that, that people look on as a great thing that they want to hire to. Someone that's been an officer or, frankly, you know, enlisted in, in the military has served and has a certain degree of integrity and discipline that they bring to any position. So that's why I think veterans are in high demand. Absolutely. But my kids, overall, I think that overall they'd say it was, it was more good than bad. Although it was challenging to move around different places and sure. have to start over again, it gave them, I think, a high degree of resilience. But at the same time, uh, I think it's attractive now to them to try to maybe be in one place and and not move around so much. Even my sons, I'm not sure if they'll end up with a full military career or not. Sure. But you know, I think it gave them a good perspective on things and certainly proud of all five of them. Well, I want to thank you for coming in and just sharing this. You know, my, my goal other than obviously catching up with one of my oldest friends was just to have you share your experience and to illustrate to people listening and, and hopefully some students that coming from here in central Illinois, whether regardless of the size of the community and, and the school system, there are opportunities for you in this country if you follow your path individually and and, and just make some, some smart choices in that and, and getting there. So, Jeff, I want to thank you again for coming in and doing this. Thank you for your service to our country, and I hope, uh, listeners, you enjoy this episode of the ROE 17 Podcast. Thank you for joining us for another episode of ROE 17 Pod. To learn more about ROE 17, please visit www.roe17.org or follow us on our social media channels. ROE17Pod is produced and edited by Victoria Padilla. We hope that you join us for our next episode.